Welcome to Start to Finish, the XRTZO podcast, where we explore the scriptures to prepare and equip real people for real purpose. Here's your host, Dr. Christopher Romano. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show, our first episode of the new year, 2022. Wow. I can't believe that 2021 has concluded and 2022 is now here. A very happy new year to all of you. I I appreciate each of you and pray that the new year is a fantastic one filled with the abundance of God's mercies. Now we're going to get right to today's teaching, but before I do, I want to offer you another testimony of a student of mine at VCBCS. Her name is Tammy Hansen. Tammy lives in Lakeland, Florida. And she is such a gift to the body of Christ. She's creative. She's innovative. She's an incredible musician with a powerful psalmist anointing. She's an actress, as well as one who displays such a heart of compassion. I I can recall the way that she faithfully cared for her aging grandmother throughout her undergraduate program. And Tammy came to us shortly after spending some time at one of our affiliate campuses in Claremont, and she continued as a distance learning student. And you talk about someone who grew, man, did she grow, uh, both in her understanding of God's word and in her calling and her purpose. So I'm proud to have you listen to her brief testimony of the way in which our classes have impacted her and really set her on a course to better serve the Lord. So listen in now to the testimony of Tammy Hansen. Hi, my name is Tammy Hansen, and I am from Lakeland, Florida. I am a distance learner with VCBCS, and I have been with them since January of 2015. Uh, I have since earned my bachelor's degree in biblical studies, and I am now in graduate school working on my master's degree in biblical studies. I would have never imagined myself being in graduate school, but All I can say is that every class that I've taken with Dr. Romano has been absolutely mind-blowing. And it's kind of funny, uh, every class that I've taken, I've had a revelation and gotten uh, or grown deeper with the Lord and His Word. It's really the best thing that I've ever done in my life. Um, I'm currently now in the book of Isaiah, which again is absolutely wonderful book. And I would have never have gained um, the knowledge of that book had it not been for BCBCS and Dr. Romano in the way uh, that he teaches. I'm absolutely thankful and so grateful that I was led to this college because I would never be where I am today with what I know uh, regarding the Word of God, had it not been for me getting involved with this school. And I personally want to thank Dr. Romano and VCBCS for what you do around the world. It's absolutely wonderful. And I'm going to continue on with my master's degree. It may take me a little longer than norm, but it doesn't matter. At least I'll get it done in time. And... Who knows, I may start working on my doctorate later on down the road as well. And I personally want to thank everyone that's part of VCBCS for everything that you do because it has been an absolute wonderful experience for me. Now in today's episode, we are going to continue our look into the subject of the presence of God as uh, it appears you know, throughout the whole of the biblical story. Now, in the last several episodes, 
we've kind of surveyed the landscape of the Old Testament. And we've discussed how the, the primary thread that runs through that narrative is God's will and his purpose uh, to partner with a covenant people who are going to faithfully represent him and also one that he could dwell intimately in the midst of. Now, that's been you know my primary emphasis over the last few weeks, and, and I trust that you got a, a hold of that uh, as you've been listening along with me. Now, unfortunately, as most of you are aware, this vision that God had um, goes largely unfulfilled, uh, in particular with his relationship with the nation of Israel. So as you close the chapter on the Old Testament, um, the Jews, you know, while they're physically out of exile, you know, they're no longer in Babylon, that they're no longer in Assyria, uh, they had returned to, to the land. So physically, they're out of exile. Spiritually, they're still bound. Um, and, and, and actually, I mean, uh, you know, socially and, and, and politically, uh, they're also still oppressed. I mean, that, that's, their, that's their history throughout. Um, you know, if you read through the Old Testament, I mean, whether it's, you know, first of all, in, in, uh, in Egypt, of course, um, you know, under Pharaoh and, and his rule. Now, they'll get an exodus, of course. Um, but, you know, eventually they're going to they're gonna come under the influence of nations like, you know, Babylon and, and Assyria and Persia, and then, you know, in the intertestament period, which is the space in between uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament, we usually call out the intertestament period. Uh, it's a 400-year period where, largely speaking, the Jews were in their land, but they were under the control of, 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 the, of the Greeks. And so when, but when you open up the New Testament and you see this early in Matthew, now you, 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 you are shown that the Jews are, again, living, living in their land, but under the control of the Roman Empire. So, you know, they're, they're still, they're a demoralized nation, you know, and in particular, what I want to mention is that, because we're obviously bridging a gap here, we're closing the chapter on the Old Testament, we're, we're, we're looking now into the New Testament, uh, but as you do close that chapter, uh, they're just a, a, a truly uh, downtrodden, demoralized nation. I mean, they're they're far distant from their their privileged status as God's chosen people, and I mean, there's really little to no hope whatsoever they're going to ever return to that glorious state of, of David's golden age. Um, you know, it just doesn't look like that's even uh, remotely a, a possibility. And there's there's an image that has been kind of swirling around in my head about how um, Israel at this point, when you close the Old Testament, it's very much like Adam in, uh, in the beginning, right? So Adam had this, uh, I mean, ha- Adam had it as good as it can get, right? Um, he had a um, unhindered, unrestrained, unrestricted uh, relationship with God. And then, of course, he will, he will uh, default on that. He'll be negligent on that. And so uh, the, the judgment on Adam is that he is removed from the garden. He's removed from the very place of God's presence. So he's standing outside of the garden uh, with no, no longer access into the presence of God, no longer access to the tree of life, which was you know kind of personified uh, the presence of God. And so he's estranged. He's outside of that place. And so Israel is very similar when you open up the pages of the New Testament. Uh, and they're there, just like Adam was there, um, but something has changed. Something has drastically and tragically changed. And so, like Adam, Israel is standing outside of God's presence, um, you know, with, with the hope 
of one day God returning uh, to rescue himself, to rescue them and to reveal himself to them once again. So, I mean, this is a sad state of affairs, right? Uh, and it's one that, you know, while it defines the majority of the Jewish people at the time of Jesus, I mean, like every historical era, there, there was a small group of people that did remain faithful to the covenant that God had made with them and, and also hopeful that he would one day rescue them, uh, you know, just as he promised. And so this, this group of people is, is usually described as the remnant. Now, Isaiah speaks a lot about the remnant uh, in his prophetic book. In Isaiah chapter 10 and verse 20, he announces, and it shall come to pass in that day that the remnant of Israel and such as have escaped of the house of Jacob will never again depend on him who defeated them, but will depend on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel in truth. Verse 21 goes on to say, the remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob to the mighty God. And, and I love that passage because it clearly shows that the remnant were not returning to a temple. They weren't returning to um, a system. They weren't returning to the law. They, they weren't returning to a land. They were returning to God himself. They were, they were reconstituting themselves. They were repenting. They were, they were, they were coming back to God uh, in, in, in you know, trust, in, in, in faithfulness, I love how it says that they're no longer going to depend upon their enemies. So they weren't going to rely upon and place confidence in superior nations, um, which which they did from time to time. That's which is really incited God that they were they weren't they weren't uh, you know trusting in Him. They were trusting in the, these other nations. And so the remnant though were going to return to the Lord. They were, they were going to place their trust in Him, and that's what characterized them, uh, as well as their hope again in the Messiah. Uh, so you you see that you know, prophetically in the Old Testament in places like this in Isaiah, but then you see it actually as it's revealed in the Old Testament. In fact, the identity of some of these people you can see when you open up like Luke chapter one, Luke chapter two, you see Mary and Joseph and uh, you see Zacharias and Elizabeth or, or Anna and Simeon. These are, these are people who refuse to give up on God and, and never stop believing that God would remember his covenant. I love Psalm 105 and verse eight, where it says that he will remember his covenant. And that so typifies, you know, these particular individuals, this, this remnant of people, this faithful few. And so if, if you read through Luke chapter one, uh, I mean, maybe you, you were there in the last few weeks, right? We're a few weeks removed from Christmas. So undoubtedly you heard sermons uh, from these passages of scripture, or maybe you read through reading plans, like an Advent reading plan, uh, where you came upon the stories of, of these individuals, you know, Mary, Joseph, Zacharias, and Elizabeth. And, and so as you read through them, you can see, like in the Song of Mary, uh, right after she had received the announcement that she would be b- bearing the Christ child, she sings this incredible song. And throughout the song, um, you can see the evidence that she, she was part of this remnant, this, this faithful who, who believed that the arrival of, of, of the Christ child was going to be in fulfillment of God's promise to, you know, return and rescue and, and redeem. And, uh, the prayer that Zacharias offers after the birth of his son John, you know, shows that they were aware. He was aware that the, uh, the birth of John the Baptist was, was God being faithful to his promise. And so the remnant uh, really stands out 
as we, as we close the Old Testament chapter and we open up the New Testament chapter. Um, and so what I love about thinking about this transition is, remember, the Old Testament, one of my favorite words to describe the Old Testament is preparation. So when I think about the Old Testament, I think preparation and I think promise. And when I think about the New Testament, I'm thinking of, about fulfillment. I'm thinking about completion. So preparation, promise, completion, and, and fulfillment. And so what is the Old Testament preparing us for? It's preparing us for the grand entrance of the one who's going to become within himself the greatest manifestation of God's personal presence. So remember, like when you read the Old Testament, you see these inferior and impersonal signs uh, of God's presence, like fire and wind or, or clouds. Um, and they're now about to give way when you turn the page to the New Testament. They're about to give way to the appearing or the arrival of the purest and clearest image of God, that God made flesh, God with us. I mean, I love thinking about all the Old Testament, you know, promises so, uh, uh, that would ultimately, uh, you know, tell the story of Jesus, right? So in Genesis chapter three and verse 15, when, when God uh, says that there will be a seed of a woman, right? Eve's seed who will come and will crush the head of the seed of the serpent. Um, in Genesis 12, the promised offspring of, of Abraham, whose arrival is going to bring blessing to the nations. Uh, the son of David, who would sit on the throne of his father David in righteousness and truth forever and ever. I mean, on and on and on. All these prophetic promises concerning God's Messiah and God's Redeemer uh, that you know he's going to return to bring freedom and victory. All of it is fulfilled in the coming of Jesus. And that's what I want you to see in today's episode, that in Jesus, God's presence had returned to the earth to dwell among humans. Now, one of my favorite points of interest when I study the scripture is to examine all the reasons why Christ came to the earth. And there are many. And honestly, it's not helpful when we throw all of our weight into one or, or, or just a few of them. Like, for example, it's right to say that God sent Jesus so that he would save us from our sins. Uh, of course, this is true. But it's also right to say that Jesus came to the earth to destroy the works of darkness and the power of Satan, right? So, I mean, it's furthermore, it's, it's, it's accurate to claim that Jesus came to restore the kingdom or to say that Jesus came to reconcile an orphan world back into right relationship with their father. I mean, there's so many features to Jesus's arrival. And, and, and really, I would encourage all of you, um, every single one of them is important and worth exploring and looking into. But for this episode, and, and, and obviously staying consistent with this series, uh, our focus today is highlighting the truth of Jesus as the continuation and as the fulfillment of God's dream and God's desire to dwell with his creation. So Jesus then, the way to look at it is Jesus is God's um, presence personified, God's presence alive, and God's presence embodied. And that's what it means to say when we, we use the word incarnation. 
which is kind of a fancy theological term, but incarnation just simply means God in the flesh, right? Um, so when we say Jesus is the incarnate son of God, it means to say that he's God's nature, God's being, God's person manifested in human form. And, um, you know, of all the prophetic images that Jesus would complete and that Jesus would fulfill in his coming, the one that I want to focus on, you know, as we close this episode out, obviously there's uh, only a limited amount of time that we have to, to, to spend here together. Uh, but the one that I, I think is, is probably the best as we parallel uh, the, the Jesus as the presence of God in the New Testament with all the things we've been discussing uh, in the Old Testament is that Jesus is the greater and more glorious temple. Jesus is the greater and more glorious temple. Now, as you study the tabernacle, the Old Testament tabernacle, the tabernacle of Moses, and then later the temple, temple of Solomon, you, you recall that they were the places that God instituted to reveal himself uh, and to obviously to dwell amongst the nation of Israel. So these sacred houses or habitations um, are the places that God would, um, you know, atone for the sins of the people. He would cleanse them. He would, he would, you know, offer forgiveness. He would offer provision and obviously the promise of his presence. And, um, you know, thinking even more deeply th- uh, than that, um, the tabernacle and the temple are the things that constituted, along with the law, they constituted the very identity of the nation of Israel. Um, and really, it's what his presence did. His presence is what formed their identity. And I'm thinking back to a passage in Isaiah chapter 33. It's one of my favorite places in scripture uh, where Moses is pleading with the Lord to go with the Israelites, right? They were making their way to the promised land and he was pleading with God that, that look, we're going, but you have to go uh, too. And if you remember, the reason why he had to do this was because after the golden calf incident, God had gotten so fed up with the people that he said, look, you're going to go, but I'm not going with you lest I destroy and, and consume you. And so Moses then passionately intercedes for them and makes a, a startling claim. Actually, let me read you uh, Exodus 33 and verse 15. It says, if you, this is Moses speaking. It says, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. So what Moses is declaring here, um, and really this is going to become the embodiment of, of the nation you know, from this point forward, uh, what he's declaring is that their uniqueness as a people group and what set them apart from the other nations was in fact the presence of God. He says, look, if your presence doesn't go with us, how are we going to be distinguished? How are we going to be any different from the rest of the nations? It's your presence that um, you know, sets us apart. It's your presence that defines us. It's your presence that is, you know, the basis of, of, of who we are as a people. So going back to the tabernacle now, or the temple, while these structures are going to show forth God's dedication to be close to his people, 
you know, it's not a perfect setup, right? I mean, if you think about the, the, the structure of the tabernacle, they're, they're, it's preliminary. It's, and it's partial. I mean, the sacrificial system um, itself inherently um, was purposefully made by God with areas that separated his holiness from the people's sinfulness, right? So if you look at the tabernacle and the temple, they each contain three distinct yet interrelated spheres, but three distinct uh, sections that are, you know, known as the outer court, um, the holy place, and the most holy place. And it was only the priests that could minister in these areas, right? And, And in particular, in the most holy place, which was behind the veil, the most holy place was only allowed to be visited one time a year uh, by the high priest on the day of atonement, um, and so um, you know there, there's really a exclusivity uh, to the structure of the tabernacle or of the temple, and so while his glory is going to be manifested, kind of in part in this old temple structure, in Christ, what you see. And I would, I would say to you that in Christ, we have a new and greater temple. That's who he is. But in Christ, his presence is fully revealed. There, there is no sectioning. There is no uh, separation. There's no divisions. There's no you know, distinct rooms that are exclusive to a few special holy people. In Christ, in Jesus, God's presence is accessible to all, to whosoever uh, it will receive him as he is, the perfect man, the perfect uh, son of God, the true temple, the true dwelling place of God. And all of this really underscores the importance of a very, very important verse of scripture. And that is John chapter one and verse 14. Uh, it's in this passage where the apostle John is going to describe Jesus as the true temple of God. Listen uh, along with me. John 1.14 reads like this. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Love that, love that passage of scripture. Now, in that passage, what lies there is the unmistakable theme of God's presence filling a temple for the purpose of dwelling among the people he loves. I mean, you see it clearly where uh, John, John says that this, this word becomes flesh. And what does he do? He dwells among us. And that's the place where his glory is, you know, beheld or glory is, is seen uh, clearly. So it's no longer through a portable tent. It's no longer through an inanimate, an inanimate object. It's no longer through a, a dispersonalized expression of fire or wind. No, no, this time, you know, God's presence and God's glory is 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 going to come through the the arrival of God's Son, the one whom Hebrews chapter one uh, proclaims as the radiance of His glory and the expressed image of His person. Jesus becomes the fulfillment of every Old Testament image and structure that's linked to the presence of God. So, in John's passage, back to John chapter one verse fourteen. John is referring to the fact that this eternal word, this logos, uh, the word, dwelt among us. Now, the word dwelt translates to mean tabernacle or, or actually, more literally, to pitch one's tent. So, in other words, according to John, Jesus came to bring closure to the Old Testament temple. And at the same time, he came to reveal a new and living 
habitation, one that would prove to be far superior and open a gateway to a better covenant. It's better because in this covenant, everyone is welcome. And in this covenant, complete forgiveness and restoration is available. It's in this covenant. It's not about one particular people group like the Jews, but every tribe and every tongue. In this covenant, God's vision for partnering with and dwelling with a faithful, true, loyal human is finally realized. Jesus becomes the full and far more personal residence of God's presence. And in him, humanity can once again be reconciled to God. And as we're going to see, become themselves tabernacles and temples of the presence of God. Well, that's going to do it for today's episode of the Start to Finish podcast. A great study as we examined how Jesus is the continuation and the fulfillment of the Old Testament story. A story that, you know, really, while troubling and and fascinating at times, uh, is uh, just highlights that God's dream and his desire is to dwell personally and intimately amongst his people. And so Jesus is just so impressive, right? He's so amazing. Uh, He's not just the representation of the Father. He bears the very presence of the Father to us, to the whole world. And as we saw in this episode, uh, all of God's redemptive program from the beginning, right, right from the beginning, finds its fulfillment in Christ. So Jesus is the seed of the woman that's uh, prophesied about in Genesis 3, who would crush the head of the serpent. Jesus is the promised seed of Abraham who would bring blessing to the Gentiles, to to the rest of the nations. Uh, He's the seed of David, who would sit on the throne of his father David uh, forever and ever. He is the Emmanuel. He is the the fulfillment of that promised Emmanuel child, who would be God with us. Jesus is the full expression of God's presence and God's promises. And, And as we ended with today, he's also the new temple. He's the new dwelling place of God. There's no longer a need for, you know, a physical tabernacle or physical temple. Those were partial, those were incomplete. But Christ is not. He is perfect, he is complete as Colossians 2 says, he is the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. And and furthermore, he he is salvation. He's where salvation is is found. And so you see throughout the Old Testament God saving, rescuing, delivering his people whether it's Exodus uh, you know, in, in, from Egypt, whether it's in the period of the judges where he's constantly delivering his people uh, from foreign oppressors, um, you know, whether it's entering the promised land where, where by the hand of Joshua, they're driving out you know, the, um, uh, the inhabitants of Canaan all throughout, uh, even into the time period where he brings them out of captivity, Babylonian captivity. God is a savior. God is a deliverer. God is a rescuer. And in Christ, he is the true savior, right? So salvation, as you study Jesus and his life and his ministry, salvation is still from the Lord. And his manifest work uh, of, of, of redemption is only accessible through Christ. He is the true temple. He is the true tabernacle. He is the glory of God. He is the place of God's presence. So, 
Thank you so much for listening to uh, today's episode. Uh, please remember to subscribe or follow the show. You can hit that uh, follow button or subscribe button. And every Thursday morning, you're going to have that week's teaching brought right to you so you don't have to go searching for it. Once again, I really do appreciate it. So until we come together next time, my prayer is that you would become more and more aware of God's presence. Study Jesus. Study the Gospels. Uh, I promise you, you will not be disappointed as well. Willingly, gladly submit yourself to the rule of God, uh, and you will find him to be everything that you could possibly need or imagine. So from that place, I promise you, God will overflow into your life. He'll overflow his blessings, and he'll use you mightily as the expression of his kingdom in every aspect of your life. So stay well, stay blessed, stay at rest. Uh, For those of you who are going to be fasting in the month of January, uh, stay close to him. Uh, depend upon him. Don't rely upon these externals. Rely upon you know, your relationship with God. He'll come through for you. He always does. He's a promise keeper. He's a promise fulfiller. Guys, I'll see you all again real soon.